Welcome back, Bennies and Johnnies, to the fifth episode of Theology on Tape. My name is Grace Terlinden, and in this episode, I will be interviewing Eric LeCompte to discuss theology and economics. Eric LeCompte is a graduate from St. John's with a degree in social work and peace studies. He is currently the executive director for Jubilee USA Network, a coalition of over 700 religious organizations that work to reform the international finance system to reduce poverty. Eric is a member of expert working groups to the UN Conference on Trade and Development and advocates for alleviating poverty. Thank you, Eric, for joining us today and sharing your insight on this topic. Grace, it's so good to be with you. So the first question we have is, would you like to tell us a little bit more about your work with economics and theology and how you got started in these areas? Yes, well, it, 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 it's incredibly exciting to be with you. Um, I'm at the Collegeville, formerly known as the Ecumenical Institute, uh, down uh, on the other side of the lake here for the semester. And I'm doing uh, a lot of work and research uh, on Jubilee economics. So uh, I was a sociology and peace studies graduate uh, here at uh, St. Ben's and St. John's University. And during that time here, uh, I was able to work with and collaborate with a lot of other great students as well as faculty uh, on what does it mean for everyone in the world to have enough? What does it mean for uh, us to have the ability to ensure that no matter who we are, uh, what our background is, where we come from, um, that we have the ability um, to not only thrive in society, but ensure that our basic needs are met. Uh, before I came to St. Ben's and St. John's uh, more than 20 years ago, uh, I spent more than a year uh, in uh, the Catholic worker movement. Uh, I lived in a Catholic worker house in upstate New York, the Catholic worker movement being a movement founded by uh, Dorothy Day, someone who had visited this campus uh, a very long time ago and was a friend of Virgil Michael and uh, other uh, monks and notables uh, who were looking at these same issues. What does it mean for us all to have enough? So I, I spent a year there and the, our Catholic worker house was a house that uh, was a shelter uh, for homeless people. Uh, we provided meals uh, every single day to about 200 people who uh, didn't have uh, access to enough food. Uh, and seeing these people, um, seeing all of the people that were struggling really was something for me that uh, offered a, a sense of, of that question that uh, we live in a rich and abundant world but unfortunately, uh, too many of us don't have access uh, to what we need. Uh, and so for me, when I came to St. Ben's and St. John's, that was part of my journey. Uh, after graduating from here, I, I worked for 10 years uh, with an organization um, that looked at uh, human rights issues, poverty issues, and torture uh, issues. Uh, in Latin America, but we looked at human rights that were impacting people. And for more than the last 10 years, uh, I've been coordinating um, Jubilee USA, and we've worked on really the structural causes uh, for why it is that people don't have enough. Uh, and when we really look at why is it that in our world right now, we have 80 people, 80 people that have more wealth 
than more than 3.5 billion people, more wealth than half of the world's population. And if we look at those 3.5 billion people who live in poverty, uh, most of those people live on less than $1.90 a day. Um, right now, because of the coronavirus crisis, we know that uh, almost a billion people are experiencing famine, um, which has increased uh, under the crisis. And if we look at historically um, why it is that people don't have enough or why uh, those questions right now are in front of us during this health and economic crisis that's been spurred by the coronavirus where even more people across the United States and around the world don't have enough. Uh, right now, 14 million more kids in the United States alone are experiencing hunger. If we look at those questions, we see it all comes down to structural economic policies, debt policies, tax policies, transparency policies, corruption issues. These are the reasons that not only do we have extreme poverty in the world, but we have poverty. So my work at Jubilee USA, we are an interfaith coalition um, that represents Jewish, Christian, and Muslim groups. Uh, we represent all of the major Christian institutions in the United States, including uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, most Catholic religious orders, um, the nuns at St. Ben's and the monks at St. John's are members of Jubilee USA Network to really look at these structural issues, to go beyond the question of charity in terms of giving to others, but actually looking at the reasons why we do have poverty, why we do have inequality, why so many people don't have enough. And it's in that kind of background that we're looking at here in terms of my work and the policies we work on at Jubilee USA in terms of global poverty, in terms of looking at these structural policies that range from climate issues to debt issues, to trade, tax, transparency issues. When we've been successful in winning campaigns at Jubilee USA, coordinating all these powerful religious voices and groups, what we found time and time again, that one campaign we win can lift millions and millions of people out of poverty. Yes, thank you for that. That's so important to note that we live in such an abundant world and yet still so many don't have enough. So my second question is what has inspired you to continue advocating for financial reform? Well, I, ultimately it's, it's out of uh, 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 inspiration from my faith. Um, it's also uh, around the questions of necessity. It's, it's around the particular issues that um, too often so many of us are not on the same page politically. Uh, we're really lucky at Jubilee USA. Congressional Quarterly cites our efforts as the last standing bipartisan coalition in Washington, D.C., meaning that we're able to bring together Republican leaders and Democratic leaders. We're able to work with whoever is in the White House because of the religious groups and religious leaders that we represent to tackle the root causes uh, of uh, extreme poverty. And part of that inspiration in terms of how we coordinate and work with religious leaders, that very much comes from the reality uh, that uh, we're inspired by our faiths, that we're inspired by scripture. So we look at uh, the Bible, at the Hebrew scriptures, uh, at the Christian 
scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament, as kind of giving us a playbook to how to tackle these root cause issues. So if we look at uh, Genesis, uh, at the very beginning of the Bible, the first five books, the Torah, uh, when we look at those particular issues uh, that are raised, um, we see uh, at its root that God has given us a rich and abundant world. And we're closest to God. We're closest to the creator when we're able to share those resources among us, uh, share those resources with one another. Uh, and that's what ultimately can bring us closer to God and closer to the creator. And that was so important um, that uh, in those first books of the Bible and the Hebrew scriptures and Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus, they actually spell out what that Genesis message means, that when God created the world in seven days, God created a rich and abundant world for us to share. And when we look deeply at what that means in Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, these law books, these legal books, uh, many scriptural scholars believe uh, as, as many as 100,000 people in early Jewish communities lived by these laws that spelled out how we can share with one another and how we can be close to our God. So for example, when you look at that scripture, when you look at those books, uh, it notes that uh, just like uh, our loving God created our world in seven days, that that number seven is very important in terms of addressing poverty and inequality. When we look at those law books, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, it notes that every seven years, every seven years, um, we need to set, set slave, slaves free. We need to forgive debts. We need to make sure that everyone has enough. We need to let the land rest. And then every seven times seven years, 49 years, 50 years is the time of a great jubilee when essentially we're protected, all of us, um, from becoming too rich or too poor. We're supposed to go back to our family ancestral lands, to our homes, um, to forgive debt, to set slaves free, uh, to protect our land. And this was so important that to the early prophets, Isaiah, Micah, Amos, um, they continually remind the people um, that they're living out of uh, a, a relationship with God when they're not following these rules. Um, and they become so important to the prophets that they continually say, we need to go back to the theme of Jubilee. We need to go back to the early law books. And then Jesus, uh, in his first public act at the synagogue, we see in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus uh, says to us uh, in a very dramatic way when, as it was the tradition, he goes and he reads from the scriptures, um, from, uh, from the scrolls, uh, he actually reads from the book of Isaiah, and he reads the prophecy of Jubilee, again, calling for the great year of Jubilee, that time when all inequality can be addressed, that time um, when we can all go back to uh, square one, being even and equal with one another. And if we look at the scripture, if we look at Luke, we see that people were totally astonished um, when they heard him. Um, and they looked at each other. Who is this crazy guy? The day laborer from Nazareth who is telling us that today 
inequality is going to be over and he's going to be a part of making it happen. But that's the radical vision of Jubilee and became one of the main themes of Jesus's ministry that harkens back to Genesis, to the prophets, to the times of old, the type of world that God envisioned us to live in and to create. So it's that particular inspiration that still inspires me and inspires our movement. It's why all of the major religious groups are a part of Jubilee and our efforts right now, because we look at that reality right now as we try to bring a real biblical Jubilee in our times by addressing the issues that our faith calls us to, that the scripture calls us to, in terms of addressing the root causes of inequality, the root causes of climate issues around the world, and ultimately that's the call of Jubilee. So that's an incredible inspiration for me. Uh, for me also personally wanting to have the greatest possible impact I can on these issues, being part of bipartisan work, uh, being able to lead the major actors of this world uh, on these particular issues, an additional inspiration is our effectiveness. The reality that when we join our hands and we work together, when we follow our faith, uh, not only can we uh, address some of these issues, we could actually change um, how our world cooperates and how our financial system exists. Um, how does your work with people of different faith traditions affect the way you think about economic policies? Well, uh, you know, at the, at the very roots of many of our different faith traditions, uh, Muslims, Christians, Jews, Buddhists, we have a lot of very similar views and visions uh, in terms of questions around inequality, in terms of being able to address uh, poverty, being able to ensure, um, just like the call of Jubilee, everyone has enough. So what we found in terms of our work when we work with Congress, uh, when we work with the G20, um, as one of the people, um, you know, I've been very blessed to be able uh, to, to uh, be able to address uh, the United Nations General Assembly and world leaders several times throughout the year. I'm able to walk into the White House, no matter who our president is, and talk about these particular issues that it, a big part of that uh, is that we have commonality across faiths. Um, and I think one of the important pieces um, that we bring to the table as Jubilee um, is we bring to the we bring to the table um, though we, we bring to the table representations uh, of every single faith, every denomination, every group. And I'll tell you, you know, several years ago, the first time when I uh, had met Pope Francis, uh, he and I were together earlier this year for. Um, some very high-level meetings, but the first time that I met the Holy Father uh, several years ago, um, myself and a few of the people I had brought to Rome with me were uh, invited into a private meeting um, with the Vatican Secretary of State, uh, Cardinal Parolin, really a, an amazing figure um, who has been at the forefront of addressing human rights, climate, and poverty, and positioning the Vatican to be one of the most powerful voices, the Holy See, one of the most powerful voices. And as I sat at the top of the Papal Palace uh, with Cardinal Parolin, 
uh, one of the things that he remarked to me, which I'll never forget, was he said, you know, Eric, Jubilee is so essential because not only are you tackling the root causes of poverty, addressing inequality and these climate issues, but what truly makes you and Jubilee unique is you bring together Christians, Muslims, and Jews to work on these issues together, to build that common home, that common world that we believe in. And ultimately that inspiration from Cardinal Parolin is one that I carry with me to this day. That reality, that, that power of working across those lines, across different faiths, not only is building the world uh, that we want to create, we're actually creating that world as we're working together. Yes, thank you. And then our final question for the day is how do you feel called to continue your work in this strange time? And how would you call on CSB SJU students? Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting time. It's a strange time. Uh, it's a time of great despair, but also a time of great hope. So because Jubilee USA works on the root causes of global poverty, uh, we work on debt issues, on trade issues, on financial crisis prevention issues, Jubilee USA was very uniquely positioned um, to be able to address the root causes of the health and economic crisis that has been spurred by the coronavirus. Uh, in fact, um, in early June, um, I was asked to be one of the few people to address world leaders at the Special Assembly of the United Nations uh, on moving forward solutions uh, for the coronavirus crisis. Um, so in many ways, this particular time that we're in, this strange time, this time of despair, this interesting time, this time of hope, uh, Jubilee was built for this moment because for the last two decades, we've been building the solutions to actually solve this type of crisis. Uh, I think one of the hardest things going into this moment um, is that we've moved world leaders time and time again um, on financial crisis protection solutions, uh, on market solutions, uh, on stopping risky behavior, and we've gotten every world leader to agree to those solutions, but we haven't implemented them. If we had implemented the solutions that Jubilee USA works on at the International Monetary Fund, at the United Nations, at the G20, at the G7, at the White House, with Republican and Democratic members of Congress, if we had fully implemented these solutions, it would have meant that this current crisis would not have been severe. Uh, right now, a crisis that means more than 500 million jobs, according to the International Labor Organization, will be totally wiped out. According to the United Nations, that now we have uh, 400 million additional people that will experience extreme poverty. Uh, around our world. According to the International Monetary Fund, this particular crisis that we're facing um, right now, where 30% of the people in the United States are struggling, where we've seen poverty increase in almost every country around the world, if we had implemented these solutions, uh, we wouldn't be facing what the International Monetary Fund calls the greatest economic crisis since uh, the Great Depression.
So there's also kind of a sadness when we look at that reality that we've brought world leaders to the table time and time again over the last decade. They've agreed to the solutions they haven't implemented. But now what we're seeing in this time of crisis, since we are the institution and organization that has crafted these particular solutions, we're at the table again. World leaders are paying attention. The United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, the G20 and Congress uh, are looking to us. And in front of us, what we have in this particular moment, inspired by our faith, inspired by our work, is that if we can move forward these particular solutions now, not only can we solve the current crisis, not only can we diminish extreme poverty, not only can we address inequality, but we have the ability to prevent future crises from taking place. So just since this particular crisis began, uh, the first week of February, I joined Pope Francis, um, the head of the International Monetary Fund, Kristalina Gorgiva. We believe the International Monetary Fund, which has uh, a significant impact on our lives and our jobs, almost as much as the oxygen we breathe, um, is the second most powerful institution in the world after the White House. I joined Pope Francis, the head of the International Monetary Fund and 12 finance ministers in the first week of February uh, at, uh, at the Vatican, where we discussed what are the tax trade debt solutions to preventing crisis and addressing extreme poverty. Weeks later, as we knew, the world would shut down and we'd be all really suffering in different ways because of this coronavirus crisis. But that time we had together with Pope Francis and the world's most powerful leaders that we helped convene with Jubilee USA, during that first week of February, uh, what again we did was put on the table the solutions we needed. And over the last eight months after we launched our campaigns at Jubilee USA in the first week of March with the largest Jewish, Christian, and Muslim groups in the United States, um, we've seen a lot of progress in terms of addressing the coronavirus crisis. For the 77 poorest countries in the world, we've been able to create new levels of development aid, of financing, uh, as well as debt relief. We've been able to change trade policies and transparency and anti-corruption policies. And just this past week, the G20 accepted several of our proposals to be able to get more aid and debt relief for developing countries around the world. And now um, this particular weekend, the presidents and prime ministers of the wealthiest countries in the world, the G20, will be meeting to affirm our proposals. So we've seen in the face of the coronavirus crisis that our work at Jubilee has been incredibly successful at being able to alleviate poverty. But now, uh, as we continue to confront this crisis uh, in the next weeks and months and years to come, it's going to be ultimately essential that we can move forward all of the policies we work on, not only to solve this crisis, not only to deal with extreme poverty and inequality, but to prevent the next crisis from happening. Yeah, once again, we want to thank you for your time and conversation. And thank you to all of you who have tuned in. 
follow SJU Faith on Instagram and Spotify for more information on new episodes as well as recordings of past episodes. So thank you all.